we doing well this morning? As they're doing the sound check. <clears throat> I love that song. Can I start? Am I on? I love that song, Behold Our God. Um, this week, uh, I was going through some difficult times uh, in the mid middle of the night. Um, I woke up with a tremendous amount of anxiety. I, I felt like I was being swallowed up by it. And um, I got out of bed, put myself in our um, chair in the living room. And I didn't start asking God for things. I just started thanking Him. So I started in creation and I, I finished with Joshua. Just those first six books. And the anxiety was gone. I mean, it was just gone. And the reason I bring this up is because God's nearness is something that I think believers really struggle with a lot of times in light of the struggles we have, horrible things that happen to us and loved ones. And I just want this to be a morning of remembering that God is very near to you if you are His child. And even if you are not His, He is still near to you. Father, I ask that this morning Your Word would so grip our hearts that we would shake in our souls, that we would not remain indifferent to You if we are, that we would be encouraged in You through the struggles that we experience, and that through it all, God, You would be glorified and we would rejoice increasingly in who You are. And I pray this in Your name. Amen. Go to Psalm 139. Last time I was with y'alls, uh, I pointed out several things from this psalm. Um, first of all, the awesomeness of God and the intimacy with which the psalmist has experience with this God. God is a God who is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnisapient. Those words are very weighty because of what they mean. And when you think about the God of creation, when you think about the God of the Bible, it doesn't take long for you to be perplexed and to be impacted by the weightiness of His being. Uh, the God here in the psalm is perplexing because of who He is, His attributes. When we say that God is omniscient, we mean that He knows everything absolutely. Who do you know that knows everything absolutely? When we say that God is omnipresent, again, we mean that He is everywhere at the same time completely and absolutely. When we say that God is omnipotent, we mean that He is absolutely all-powerful. And when we say that God is omnisapient, the claim is that He is absolutely all-wise. 
Now what's weighty about this? Think about it. This God is both personal and He is near. We see in this psalm a tremendous interaction between the psalmist and the Creator. Between the creature and the Creator. And as I pointed out last time, over 27 times, you have the pronoun uh, talking to the Lord, you and your. And over 49 times, there's the pronoun of me, my, and I. Referring to the psalmist. This is a deeply personal psalm. It is very, very interactive. And who can compare? Who can compare to this God? I noted that atheists deny the existence of any God whatsoever. That it's, at best, it's a helpful delusion. Monists deny the distinction between you and I, supposedly because this is an illusion. Polytheists deny there's one true God. Instead, there are millions of gods. And Muslims, while monotheistic, deny the possibility of an intimate exchange between humanity and Allah, between humanity and God. Why? Because He is thoroughly holy. Who can compare? Well, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has no takers. No one can compare to Him. And as I noted last time we met, this is the God of the Hebrews who in the fullness of time put on flesh in the historical person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the eternal, self-existent, all-powerful Creator. John 1, verses 1-3. through He's the all-wise, all-knowing God. Matthew eleven twenty seven, Colossians 2, 2 Two, three, and he is the only Savior. Matthew eleven, twenty eight and thirty. And so what we established last time between the psalmist and his God in verses one through six is this that the Creator is self existent, all knowing, all powerful, all wise, who freely enters into a relationship with weak broken and often wayward children. And, while God's exhaustive knowledge caused David to elate in the God, in the Lord of creation, just as God's knowledge is everywhere, so is His presence. And he continues with this in verses 17-16. through So let's read. Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where can I flee from Your presence? If I ascend to heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, You are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there Your right hand will lead me, and Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to You, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you form me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days 
that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. The Lord's eyes are ever on you and you and you and you and you. God is everywhere. What is meant by God's omnipresence? You hear this, you know, I've already kind of said it. Let's go through it a little bit more. It means that God is everywhere always. Now, now, how can this be? How can God be everywhere always? Completely and absolutely. God's Scripture is not corporeal. He's not spatially extended. He does not have a physical body. So when David asks in verse 7 here, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question. The answer to which is, I can't go anywhere. But that you're not there. So this attribute of omnipresence helps us understand how God is also omniscient. How He is all-knowing. Think about this. The attributes of God, those things that depict who He is in totality, not a part here, a part there, but completely and wholly, if you think about it, all of His attributes are working together so that He can create, sustain, bring about the purposes for which He created, etc., etc. So to think about this, if somebody objects to the resurrection, for example, of Jesus Christ, I mean, there... You need to remind them, or perhaps you dif- uh, have a difficulty with believing in, quote-unquote, the supernatural, that a dead corpse actually came back to life, really. All you have to ask yourself is, if God can create and sustain creation, what's resurrection? Is that too difficult for Him? So God is Lord of space, but He is not limited to space. Think about this. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how can God create if He's limited by space? Ever ask yourself that question? I mean, if anything, this text actually shows that space itself was His creation, not an accident by forces of blind nature. Moses reminds Israel after the tablets are written for the second time, if you recall, they had a little idolatry party. And Moses saw and got angry and threw down the tablets. Went back up on the mountain for another 40 days. God wrote a second edition. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 10.14. Behold... To the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. Accentuating what? He is the Creator. Don't worship the creature or the imaginations of a creature. Worship the Creator. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 
23 through 24. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Now, what's the context? False prophets. False prophets are leading God's people astray, having, quote-unquote, dreams from God, but they were not from God at all. They were not God's prophets. But even their false dreams, their false uh, uh, sayings, even in secret, God was there. He saw it. How can he see this again? Because he's the God of creation. No one, nothing is hidden from his gaze. And David knows this well. Now, what's the extent of God's presence? Again, it's absolute. Just like the extent of God's knowledge of David is absolute, verses 1 through 5, so is God's presence, verses 7 through 12. First of all, Number one, He is present in heaven and hell. Verse 8 says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Number two, present in the west and east and even in the darkest oceans. Verse 9 says, If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, He's present. I think of Jonah. When he rebelled against God, wanted to die, and just he got cast into the sea, a large fish takes him and goes down deep, deep, deep. You ever think about drowning? You ever think about the fear of just sinking? You ever think about that? Maybe you're, maybe you're not like me. I do. I've thought about that. That's a horrific thought. But God is there. What dark, dark, dark places in your life right now do you feel like everything is closing in on you and you're drowning and it is dark and you can't see? God is right there. Number three, He is, he is present with His man. Listen to this, verse 10. Even there... Even there, even where? Heaven and hell, in the darkest part of the ocean, as far as the west or the east, He's there. Even there, Your hand will lead me and Your right hand will lay hold of me. Now, what does this mean? It means that David nor any of us can hide from God's gaze. That God's presence equals His absolute control. And as one commentator has written, He, God, controls not only the psalmist, but the whole world, so that nowhere in God's world could anyone evade Him. Let me read a few texts that demonstrate God's absolute knowledge of us by virtue of his absolute presence. Proverbs 15.11 says this, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more 
the hearts of men. In other words, the abode of the dead where men exist powerlessly, kind of like shadows. They're not really alive. And where the satanic angel or where destruction is taking place, God is right there. Now think about this. Who, who can possibly go there? What do you do? Get in a spaceship and go there? You don't even know where it is. God knows where this place is. And He's saying, how much more? Every one of you that's walking around breathing and living, planning your lives, living as if He doesn't exist, or living as He does it, as if He does exist, because He does. The point is, God knows you completely and totally. First Samuel 16.7 The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here Samuel is before the sons of Jesse. And he's looking at how good do they look? How tall are they? How strong are they? And God's saying, it's none of these. These are not those that I have cho- the one that I've chosen. It's David who I've I chosen. The point is, me and you tend to look at human beings very differently than how God looks at us. Psalm 44, 20-21 says this, If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. The fact is, Israel has a history of idolatry, of going after false gods. God knew it all along. Hebrews 4.13 There's no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Again, God's gaze can't be avoided. Number four, God is present to protect His man. He is present. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Now last time I noted that the structure and the tone of the psalm is likely of the psalmist offering a complaint to God because he was being unjustly dealt with. He was being unjustly accused. And David is reminding himself of the Lord, of Yahweh's justice. That even though injustice may be done to him, this does not escape the gaze of God who judges rightly. At work, there's bickering. People are unjustly accusing you. What do you do? How about at home? Siblings, spouses.
accusations flying that aren't true. And the, the following actions of dealing harshly with you. And you ask yourself, where is God? The tragic taking of an uncle's life. And you ask yourself, where is God? The millions and millions of abortions that have been committed in the United States of America these last 40 some odd years. Where is God? The unjust torture of believers in either communistic countries or Muslim countries. Their disfigurement. The burning of their homes. And we ask, where is God? He is there. We need to be careful that we don't forget in asking these questions, which we should ask. They have perplexed people throughout the ages, the people of God especially. Keep in mind that you are a creature and He is Creator. If you do that in your many wrestlings with issues that have brought you deep pain and and you can't really understand, remember, there are answers, but at the end of the day, there's going to come a point where you and I have to decide, am I going to trust this God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise? Or am I not? And every day we're faced with that decision. So what should this knowledge produce in us, His people? He has absolute knowledge of all things pertaining to our lives. And is absolutely everywhere. We can't escape His gaze. Nothing escapes His gaze. I want to ask you some questions. Number one, just think about this as I continue this talk. Does this knowledge comfort or scare me? Ask yourself that question. Does it bring comfort? Does it bring terror to you? Number two, does this knowledge give me hope? in my sadness? Does this knowledge calm my fears of the unknown? Does this knowledge encourage me to persevere in suffering? Does this knowledge propel me to pray? Does this knowledge cause me to give thanks? Does this knowledge issue a new song from my soul.
Number five. Not only is God present to protect His man, God is present before His birth. And before I read this, I'm just going to need a whole other session to deal with the issue of abortion because it's here, but I can't do it justice this morning. I'm going to touch up on a few things, but here we go. Verse 13 through 16 says this, For you form my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. In Green Hills, there's a headstone of our son that many of you know we lost in 1998. His name's Adrian. And Trish had a difficult pregnancy that year. We came home and um, she's in, in the bathroom and I look at her and she's crying and her um, she was bleeding. Went to the hospital. She was there three days. And um, the baby could live as long as the baby was in the womb, but her, her body just couldn't handle keeping Adrian in. So um, fortunately, we had a wonderful doctor who had experienced the same thing at not 16 weeks like Trisha's experiencing it, but at like 26 or 27 weeks. She was fantastic. Anyway, Trish, knowing that um, you know this is a human soul, a human being, not just tissue clinging onto her, uh, she knew that um, the way to remove that baby um, it would be horrific. They would be ripping him out of her, dismembering him, in order to remove him from her body, and she would not have that. And so we waited three days. And um, the doctor was closely monitoring uh, her blood because we had to make sure that Trisha's blood uh, was not uh, uh, poisoned. So they injected her with Pitocin and uh, finally induced um, Adrian. and, And she delivered him. And um, we have uh, his headstone uh, at um, at the cemetery. Is verse sixteen? Let me read it. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. What an awesome God. He has your life and my life in His hand. And He has ordained so many breaths 
for you and me to breathe. And when we're done, we're done. What does that do to you? I think God wants that truth to hit deeply into our very being. We live in a culture, and there's a lot of good things about the United States. We have a lot of freedoms. It's amazing the freedoms we have. But one of the primary principles, founding principles, of this country has to do with the individual is king. That's my that's my spin on it. But you know, your rights and your your individuality is put up in such high regard at the expense of that there is actually a creator to whom you must answer for your life. And so what happens, we become Christians and we bring this worldview to church. We ignore Scripture and we just think that we are the masters of our own destinies. But we're not. Do you contemplate your death? a lot harder to do it when you're in your teens. It's a little easier in your 20s. A little easier in your 30s. In your 40s. And then and in your 50s, it's like, pff, any day now. Because you realize, wow, there's, there's, odds are there's no way I'm living to 100. Dear God, I don't want to. Body's falling apart. But do you contemplate your death? Now, in our country, we do everything to avoid thinking about that. Through sports, entertainment, restaurants, whatever. But, but this passage here is a sober reminder to us that the wise person contemplates their death, contemplates, is there a God? Contemplates, how am I living in light of this Creator who has revealed Himself? See, because at the end of the day, what school you go to, who you marry, your career, uh, 
the toys you buy, the houses you acquire, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, that's not what's important. Ultimately. At the end of the day, what's really important is do you know this God? David continues to further explain God's omnipresence here in these verses. And he does it by considering how he came into existence. And this existence is with a purpose. Since God is the Creator, His creative concerns include individuals, one commentator says. Verses 13 and 16 through 16 show that humans are both physical and immaterial. There's an immaterial aspect to who you and I are. We are not just a body. Naturalism. Darwinian evolutionary thought denies this statement absolutely. Why? Well, according to one of their famous proponents, the cosmos, the material universe, the world, is all there was, is, or ever will be. Which is, by the way, a philosophic statement, not a scientifically proven uh, fact. This belief in naturalism fills our public schools, the curriculum. It is dominant in the worldview of education. And it is really, really important for us. We would do well to come to understand it so that we can winsomely, tactfully, convincingly dialogue with our family, friends, co-workers, etc. Naturalism is assumed. But this text contradicts the very notion. This text says you're not here by blind chance. This text says you are here by grand design. God makes our body and God makes our soul. Verse 13 says this, For you form my inward parts, literally, my kidneys. And you wove me in my mother's womb. And what do we see here? We're seeing here God's knowledge, God's presence, God's power, and God's wisdom in the creation of a human person. 
Now, there are different views in Christianity. Did God create the first humans and then let nature take its course? Right? Because we reproduce after our, our own kind? Some Christians think, yeah, that, 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 that's good. God is involved, but not directly. Okay. Well, others would say, even though we reproduce after our own kind, in light of many texts of Scripture, for example, that He upholds all things by the word of His power, that by Him and through Him and to Him are all things, and many, many other Scriptures, specifically this one, shows that He is intricately involved in the creation in the womb of a child. This is amazing. This is utterly baffling. Proverbs 8.22 says this, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way before His works of old. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah. What are we getting from these scriptures? Minimally. Minimally? That personhood... Personhood begins once you come into existence. And once you come into existence is conception. Number two, God knew you before you were even conceived. That's the degree of His knowledge of you and of me, of Jeremiah. Not only that, before you were born, before you came out of your mommy's womb, I, I consecrated you, have appointed you a prophet to the nations. The principle here, God had His life already mapped out. Do you believe that about your life? I'm not saying that our choices aren't real and that we don't plan and, 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 and have a goal and go after it. Do it! Bible, do it! I just want to point out that you're not ultimate. You are the, what's the C word? Creature! You are the creature. He is the Creator. You see how helpful this distinction is? I hope you do. 
Because you are going to experience in your life, and many of us have already, and more are up ahead. We are going to experience very agonizing, troubling times. And you need to settle once and for all this issue of who is ultimately in charge. Is it you or is it God? We've been in Luke for many years now. And it's been amazing. In these last 12 some odd weeks, we've been looking at the last days of Jesus, the passion of Jesus. And something that is completely and utterly clear is that even though it seems like all hell is breaking loose and uh, uh, the disciples are losing their faith and everything's just falling to the wayside, but oh my God, Jesus is a pathetic leader who just got killed, tortured. But through the accounts, again and again and again, what do we see? What does God show? He shows, first of all, before Pilate, Pilate, the only power you have is the power that's been given to you. By the way, if I wanted to, I could call many, 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 many angels right now and wipe you all out. But this is the plan that I, the Father and the Spirit have had from eternity past. And it's going to come to pass. No one is going to stop it. And yet we will use sinful human beings, demonic spirits to accomplish our goal. When it says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes so that we can become more like Christ, verse 29 in Romans 8. You've got to remember, He's the Creator. You have to keep in mind, He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He's everywhere. And He's all-wise. So at the end of the day, when you're just going, huh, you need to remember, He's God and we're not. It doesn't mean you don't think hard about these things. It doesn't mean you don't try to connect the dots and you should. What it just means is, you know, once you get to the end of your rope, when, when you just, okay, I, you just worship. You worship. You worship in your pain. You worship in your joys. You worship in the day and you worship at night. And when you wake up in the middle of the night and feel like anxiety is going to swallow you up, you get up and you start giving thanks to the God of creation for who He is and what He has done. And you experience His power. 
to get through just another hour. All beings owe their existence to God, the Creator. He knows them before they are even born, and He knows us before our birth. Now what kind of God is this, folks? Verse 14, David gives thanks. He's reflecting on God's handiwork and what does he do? He does what everyone who comes in touch with the reality of this God, he gives thanks. He gives praise to God. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. How do you get to know this very well? You think about it. You apply it. You live out the implications of being in relationship with this God. That's how you know it very well. Where the knowledge isn't just information, but it brings in real transformation in your life. Even though imperfectly. Even though you sin. And even though sometimes you think, oh my gosh, am I a Christian? I cannot believe I thought I did this. What is going on here? And you're vexed in your soul. You give thanks. God has revealed Himself through creation. And the life of a newborn is a demonstration of it. Why? Because the newborn is not an accident. The newborn is here by God's design. That's what David is saying. And he can't contain his joy. Now if you're a Christian, and you believe, let's say, in a theistic evolution, which God uses the processes of evolution to um, you know, bring about creation, you need to understand that in, in, in uh, the academy... Um, you are just tolerated, but they look very, very down on you. They do not believe that there is any such thing as a God. But that's a useful fiction for you to get on with your life. That's fine. Don't buy into that junk. It's not what Scripture teaches. It's not what Scripture teaches. God has a purpose for each and every one of of us. Verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Here we have metaphor for mystery. He's using a metaphor here. What is it? I don't understand how you make me. Verse 16, Your eyes have seen My unformed substance, and in Your book were all written the days that were ordained for Me, when as yet there was not one of them. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says this, Just as you do not know the path of the wind, and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God 
who makes all things. Now in the days of Solomon, you know, they didn't have the technology that we have, right? They didn't. They didn't have ultrasound. They didn't have a lot of the things that we do now. And yet, even with all our instruments, there's so much we don't know. I mean, think, think about this. How in the world does the heart just keep pumping blood over and over and over and over and over again? Do you tell it to? Duh. How is that? How does that happen? And when all of our technology and all of our knowledge comes to this wall of we don't know, it is not a leap in the dark to say God sustains it. Because not only theologically, but philosophically and scientifically, we could show the, the, the viability that we are not here by an accident, but we are here by design through what has been created. I'm not arguing for that right now. I'm just asserting it. So what do we conclude from these verses, verses 13 to 16? That God's handiwork reveals His omniscience, which is what? He is all, He's all-knowing. His omnipresence, which means He's where? At all times. His omnipotence, which means He is all-powerful. And His omnisapience, which means He is all-wise in the creation of each individual. God's handiwork is mysterious. It has a specific purpose for each and every one of our lives before we're conceived. And God's handiwork is utterly astounding when it comes to persons. Think about it. Of all creation, only human beings bear the image of God. That is the Christian truth claim. Okay? Only human beings bear the image of God. And uh, um, theologian Wayne Gruden puts it this way. Consider, for example, the starry universe. Think about the starry universe. Can't see a lot of stars in the city. Go to the desert. Camp out at night and you will see a sheet of stars that will utterly blow your mind. Consider the starry universe, the abundant earth, the world of plants and animals, and the angelic kingdoms are remarkable, even magnificent. But we are more like our Creator than any of these things. We are the culmination of God's infinitely wise and skillful work of creation. The fact is this that your life matters to God. Your life matters to him. He really cares about you. He's taking tremendous care and time to make sure that you are here. 
and you've had some good times and you had some bad times, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. It doesn't mean that he's not all powerful. It doesn't mean that he's not all wise. It doesn't mean that he's not all good. This all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-wise Lord of creation has you and I always on His mind. God has a plan that's often hidden from us. You understand? It's hidden. When I was 20, my life was... I had it planned out, man. I knew where I was going. And I found myself here. Things did not go the way I envisioned. But but you know what? I, I think that's that's a common human experience. And you can either torment yourself over it. And believe me, I experienced some torment. And I know people who have been so tormented by it that their lives have completely and totally fallen apart because of it. What I'm saying right now is a big deal. This is huge. This is huge. Think about it. Nobody gets married planning on getting divorced. Right? Yeah, I'm going to get married and oh, I can't wait till I get divorced. It's like, Nobody goes into marriage thinking that. Nobody uh, wants to have kids and then all of a sudden plans on losing them. Like we did. Nobody starts a business and says, oh man, I can't wait till it fails. Or nobody raises children and expects them to go wayward really, really, really bad. I mean, think about all the things we're just not in control of. Come on. Now, again, I want to just say this. We do have control over a lot of things. It's just not as much as we like to think is the reality. God is the one Who's in absolute control? He's creator. He's the sustainer. He's the all-wise God. He is everywhere. He knows everything. He's good. He's holy. He is just. And those of us that are here want to make sure of one thing. You've got to answer this question. Are you his friend? Are you his enemy? Nothing else really matters ultimately in life. Are you God's friend or are you His enemy? Well, all of us are born as His enemy. We're born into sin because of the first Adam. But the last Adam has made a way for us to come into a right relationship with this amazing God. Atheists, monists, polytheists, and Muslims deny one aspect of this teaching or all of it. 
But the apostles and the prophets testify to the certainty of these things culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ who possesses all the attributes of God as the second person of the triune God who invites those who will to come and follow Him. Scripture says of Jesus that all things came into being through Him. John 1.3 He upholds all things by the word of His power. Hebrews 1.3 In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3 And He is the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God Almighty. Revelation 1.8 So I'm going to conclude with this. I've got seven questions for you. Does this knowledge comfort or scare you? It should comfort you if you're His friend, but terrify you if you're His enemy. Does this knowledge give you hope in your sadness? It should if you're trusting in Him, but it won't when you ignore His revelation. Does this knowledge calm your fears of the unknown? It should if you're taking these burdens to Him in prayer, but it probably won't because you choose to carry the load without God's assistance. Does this knowledge encourage you to persevere in suffering? It should, even though all hell is unleashed, because nothing can separate us, His children, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does this knowledge push you, propel you to pray? It should, because it's the God of creation who cares for you, who hears your cries. Does this knowledge cause you to give, to give God thanks? It should. Because from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever, world without end. Amen. And lastly, does this knowledge issue a new song from your soul? It should. Because from the sunrise to its setting, all of God's works praise His name. And His image bearers should be leading in the procession, not lagging behind. Lord, we thank You that You have made us and You know us intimately. Not only do You know all things, but You are in all places at all times fully. Such knowledge really is mind-boggling. It is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain to it. It's too high. And yet, that's what You've revealed. And so, Lord, I ask that we would not be people who don't take these things to heart. But we would meditate on them. We would consider them. Lord, I pray for everyone that's here who's undergoing tremendous burden. Lord, I ask that You would Show Yourself to be the God who is there. You're the God who is near. 
to those who are confused and battered, lonely, no direction. Lord, be to them the God who is there, showing them that You know them. You understand their struggles, their fears, their insecurities. And Lord, for those of us who are not sure, not sure You exist, not sure that we can trust You and Your Son, ultimately, Lord, I ask that You would, by all means, open up the eyes. Help us see. Amen.